Hi, and welcome to Happiness Through Hardship, the podcast, where we share positive stories and suggestions about finding hope, resources, and connections to help us all get through hard times. I'm Karen Sullivan, a mom, an author, and a stage four cancer patient who's always looking around me for inspiration. I believe in surrounding myself with people and experiences that make me smile. And that's what I'm hoping to do for you today. So grab your favorite drink, get cozy, and let's get started. I am so excited to introduce you to Gina Bonagoro. She's an international author and editor who has co-authored six novels, written multiple articles, and won five writing grants. Earning her bachelor's in English from Villanova University and her master's in English from the University of British Columbia, where she was there on a Fulbright scholarship, she now lives in Toronto, though she's very proud to say that she grew up in New Jersey. Her most recent historical fiction novel and first solo novel, The Virgins of Venice, was released in December 2022. Her knowledge of women's history and writing is evident, and she's here to discuss how books can be healing. Gina, I am so excited to have you on. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me, Karen. It's great to talk to you. Well, I will say I just got your book uh, about a week ago um, in the mail on Amazon, and I can't, I brought it with me. I wanted to start reading it when I was away for a few days, and lo and behold, um, you know how that is. You just, uh, sometimes you don't get a moment to yourself, even when you have a few days away. So um, I'm excited about it, but I want to jump in. Can you talk to us about being a writer? Was this something that when you were a little girl that you just dreamed of always writing novels or did it evolve and how did it come about? Yes, I was definitely that little girl who always wanted to write a book and I wrote poems and I took writing classes for fun. And, um, and then I went to uh, university and I, w- I wasn't even planning to do an English degree. I was going to do, I first I did political science and I did history. And then I went back to English because I realized that was my true love. And then um, I decided to apply for the scholarship, went to the University of British Columbia to study literature and uh, I did a master's and hated it. I actually hated the master's degree. And it kind of killed my love of reading for a, like a year. After that, I was like, I don't want to read. <laughs> so it was, I guess, post-traumatic stress from the master's program. So I, I, I worked in various jobs. And then uh, I married a Canadian man and we moved. We had been living back in the States. And then we, we, he got his first job as an academic and we moved to Canada. I couldn't work initially. And I said, you know what? I always wanted to write the great American novel. Now I'll write the great American Canadian novel that I'm here. I have the time. Uh, I Just to fast forward, I, I met this woman. We decided to co-author a book together. We ended up co-authoring six books together. And then in the um, couple, about five years ago, we decided to amicably part ways. And I wrote my first solo novel, which is the one you just bought, The Virgins of Venice, which is set in 1509 Italy. Now, I think there are a lot of people, not necessarily that share your story. We all have our own unique story, right? But said, I always wanted to write a book. Mm-hmm. Now there's some people like myself that go through something in life and end up writing a book, call it a self-help book. And for me, my process was, I really just started journaling after my first cancer diagnosis. So I had the inspiration while the book itself isn't the journaling. It inspired me when I went back to write the book. Okay. Here's what I was feeling. Here's what I was thinking. And I took some of that, those words and those feelings to write the nonfiction. 
Uh-huh. But when it comes to fiction, like what's the process in that? I'm sure there's many of them, but what talk to us a little bit about that process of, you know, so somebody's here listening and they want to write a book and they want to write a fictional story. What do you suggest to them? As you say, there's many different ways and different methods, but I would say if you want to write a book, you have to sit down and write a book. <laughs> you can't just talk about it. And one of the things that I do when I really get into writing is I say, I have to write a page a day. It could be garbage. It could be brilliant. I, I you know, just propel it along. And then uh, what happens is I start rereading before I start the next page. But then after a while, if you've got a hundred pages, that's going to take a while. So then I just keep writing. So if you set yourself a goal of a page a day, you've got a book in a year, then you have to edit it and all these things, but you have to sit down and do the writing and not just talk about it. Now there's all, there's lots of methods. For example, you could do voice to text. You could be driving in your car, put on the voice to text and talk. You know, there is so much technology at our fingertips right now. You don't have to necessarily be sitting at a keyboard. But if you want to write, you've got to write. It could be even I've heard of people say, I forced myself publicly to say it and did a blog. If say you're doing nonfiction again, just to kind of make sure you're writing. So you have to like find an accountability system. Sometimes it's uh, self accountability. Sometimes it could be I, you know, let's say you and I decided to have start a writing group. I could say every week I have to send Karen five pages. She's expecting them. You know, whatever works for you. But I would say you have to. You actually have to put the words on the page. <laughs> and it's interesting you say when it comes to accountability, there are a lot of writing groups now. One of my greatest mentors and a, almost a big sister to me ever. Her name's Stacy Lender. She started in writing groups and she always wanted to write a novel. She did write a novel called City Mouse that it had taken her a number of years, uh, but ultimately she needed that accountability. And so she did go to the writing groups and and that was something very powerful for her because she then had the feedback. Mm -hmm. And as, as we know, I mean, I definitely did have my best friend and my husband and by the way, Stacey Lenders, we're talking about her read through <laughs> my book, uh, but having somebody from the outside that doesn't know you and love you like your friends and family do mm-hmm. can be really helpful for accountability and also feedback. Yeah. And you could do that by taking a writing class, you know, like commu- at your community college online. There's so many options right now. Well, that's actually, I think in a way what happened with my co-author, because we started as a writing group, writing our own ind- independent projects. And then we said, Hey, let's write this thing together. And so it was having a, like a, a built-in writing group. You said that for you, what worked or what you would try and say is I'm going to write a page a day. Yeah. How do you develop? Did you develop the characters in your mind beforehand? And how do you develop a character if you're so not used to doing it? Or is it somebody that you knew of and, you know, spin off of part of their personality from childhood and those were integrated in your characters? Well, all my books are about you, Karen. Because <laughs> we knew each other since childhood. No, I mean, I think. You do a lot of, you, you probably, if you want to write, you probably read a lot. So, you know, you have different ideas, but there's a great writer named Anne Lamott and she wrote a book called Bird by Bird, some instructions on writing in life. And she says, yeah, steal from, steal from your family and friends. And if you want to, uh, <laughs> I don't know if I can say this on your podcast, if you're worried that somebody will sue you for libel, just give them a teeny tiny little penis. <laughs> <laughs> 
I don't know if you want to cut that out, but anyway, oh, I thought that was funny. <laughs> you know, I, it's not your words. It's her words, right? It's her words. It's not your words. It's her words. No, it's, it's all good. It's all good. So I think, well, and that's why, Hey, when you're, whatever you're writing, there are, there are many ways to write, we could, we could self-publish, you could publish mm -hmm. on Amazon, but I'm, yeah. I'm guessing you had some business services, whether it was a lawyer or whatnot, to figure out what you do and how you do it to make sure that no one is suing you or trying to grab somebody's Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's funny, not really legally. I mean, I suppose if you were writing a nonfiction book based on real people, you might need to, to cover your butt on stuff like that. But not for fiction, even if you're writing about, for example, only if it was, say, the person was alive, maybe you would need to but you probably would change the name or change yeah. some identifying details. But if you're writing for someone from the past, kind of anything goes. You don't really, you don't need a lawyer for that, <laughs> that I've encountered. Well, what I wanted to pick your brain about, and I think would be really interesting for the listeners is self-help has been such a huge genre over the last several decades, maybe even longer than that. So when it comes to healing, I remember the day, you know, old bad boyfriend broke up with one me or one of my girlfriends and we'd go check out a magazine at Barnes and Noble or, you know, fast forward a few years and someone's going through some sort of hardship. Okay, cancer. And there's a book for that. So we're talking nonfiction. It makes a lot of sense. But mm -hmm. as, as you and I were, were trying to navigate through how we were going to to have this conversation, we started talking about, okay, let's talk about healing Mm -hmm. And not, and, and excuse me, and fiction. And so I wanted you to share a little bit. You brought up a term to me, bibliotherapy. And I want to talk about that because it made so much sense when we started talking about it. Yeah. So I kind of come across this term, I, or I came across this term years and years ago, possibly decades. I think it was the first term. It might have been in a book about depression called Feeling Good or Feel Good, I think was is the title of that book. But I, I've now seen it applied in many other situations, as you say, for example, to reading not just self-help, but other types of nonfiction. You could say biographies and memoirs. Um, and you could, uh, and, and definitely fiction and poetry, I think would be a big part of how, yeah, the, reading these books can help you heal, can help you cope, can help you realize you're not alone uh, as you are going through whatever you're going through. So in terms of, you know, as we were thinking about it, it made a lot of sense because a lot of kids that might be going through a hard time, they're not going to read a self-help book but perhaps they're going to be handed a story that they can identify with. And that in turn sounds like bibliotherapy, right? Absolutely. Yeah. For adults that might write or they might read, like you said, poetry can become very helpful, but are there other, are there stories that you've heard of that, you know, are fictional, but can be helpful to people in terms of whether it's dealing with a, a certain hardship or it's trying, trying to tap into the joy or the presence of each moment. There was a book I read a few years ago that I loved. It was called A Little Paris Bookshop. And it was the idea of it was that this person, this bookseller, lived on a barge on the on the Seine. And he would, you would go to this, people would go to this bookseller and he called himself a literary apothecary, um, sort of meaning that he would find out what your ailment was and then give you the book that would help heal your soul. And I actually know somebody 
from years ago, he lived in Toronto and then he's now lives in London, England. And he, he has this shop in London and it's called Books for What Ails You. And it's the same idea uh, of he, you go in that bookshop and he'll, you'll tell him your problem and uh, he'll help find the right fictional book uh, that will help get you past or at least cope Sometimes you can't get rid of the problem, but cope with it. And, you know, there's all sorts of books out there, novels that deal with relationship problems, death and grief, uh, illness, parenting, uh, all these things that we're all trying to deal with and that you just know when you read it, you're not alone. And I was, I was reviewing that article that we found in Psychology Today that I sent you about bibliotherapy and it. And there was four stages of why, of how books can be used as a healing tool and it had to do with ident there were the four stages were identification catharsis insight and universalization so identification would be would mean you're you you have a main character or a set of main characters and you can identify with them and empathize with them the, the catharsis part of the process would be the struggle that they go every good novel has a has a struggle to it right otherwise it would be that's called the plot like otherwise it would not be interesting right. to read right um and then the insights, so you can see similarities between what's with, with what that character is going through with your own life. And then the final is universalization, which means you realize you're not alone, uh, that this is happening to other people and might, in fact, be a universal human experience. Well, and, and I really haven't been reading that much fiction in recent years. When I do... I throw my hands up in there and I'm like, why am I not doing this more? I have been so much of a visual person working in media almost my whole career. And so our house has TVs, even though our, our house might be small or wherever we go, but there is a TV in most rooms. We watch a lot of sitcoms. Uh, movies for that have been a big place in my life. And as, as some of the podcast listeners know, I still watch Days of Our Lives. <laughs> Soap opera. And I don't watch it yeah. like I did when we recorded yeah. it in our VCR and we came home after school, whatever yeah. time that was, and like sat and watched it. I don't. I now I have it on my phone as I've got seven loads of laundry to do. I put my AirPod in. I'm listening to it. But here's where I'm making the parallel is that these characters, I can identify with some or absolutely not identify with others. And when things are rough in my life, similar to when you dive into a good book for the distraction, Days of Our Lives has been my distraction. I've got these characters, some of which I just absolutely love. And oftentimes I'll leave after an episode thinking, man, their life is worse than mine, right? Exactly. <laughs> you know, like I am not possessed by the devil. I'm not, you know. And so it, it has become a, it really, I have this loving place in my heart for these characters, which uh -huh. is why, you know, I'll publicly say that they have helped me through my cancer journey because that's been my outlet. And I think books, it's the same thing. It's this is an area of distraction. It's a way to, you, you know, you're not really closing your eyes because you're reading the book, but you know, those stages that you were talking about, even if the book is not a self-help book, it's a novel, but there's going to be a plot of hardship and that you can sometimes identify or other times think, oh my goodness, like their life is really bad. And I like focusing on their being distracted by what their ailment or their hardship and not my own. And sometimes there are 
nuggets of wisdom many times that you can take from these fictional characters. And, you know, if, if you're willing to, or remember, I would love to hear from you. Like, what are some fictional characters that you've come across in your life that you've either hated or that you've loved or that a, a little bit of nugget of wisdom you've taken from them and you've brought to different avenues of your life? Uh, yeah, definitely. I just want to also say, even though if I, I think reading, um, watching TV and movies is, is definitely in parallel and there's a lot that can be taken from them as well. I do think there's something different about reading itself. It's more intimate. It requires more thought. It, it makes you engage a little bit more. So I think there is a difference though. I think there, there's a lot of similarities, but I mean, books for me that I have, uh, yeah, characters that I love. I mean, I'm a huge Jane Austen fan. Uh, but you don't have to be reading Pride and Prejudice and Persuasion to, you know, if you're intimidated by, you know, the big, great books. Uh, I think there's, you know, romance books, mysteries where, where people are trying to solve problems and puzzles as a way to, as a way to engage your brain. Um, I love listening to podcasts about literature where these are illuminated. Maybe that's like going to school a little bit, but um, I mean, I do, I do come back to, I reread, sometimes I reread books. For me, I'm a huge historical fiction fan because a, a lot of times if I am feeling down about something, I go, well, I'm not living through a war. Like, you know, it's not as bad as that character I just read about who was in world war II in France and hiding from the Nazi, you know, it, it, you kind of, you, you, you can, I, that's one of the things I love most about particular historical fiction, though I realize that's not everyone's cup of tea, but um, yeah, so I think it might depend on, I don't want to like say you, the books that have worked for me would necessarily work for you because you might not have the interest. And I, I don't, I don't denigrate any genre of fiction. Like there's some people who'd be like, oh, I'd never read a romance, but there's other people that just love the romance. And the reason they love it is it's, you know, you're going to get a happy, satisfying ending. And there's something very therapeutic about that. You just know that that's going to happen. Or in a mystery, you know it will be solved. And that there's not always justice served, but often often there is justice served. And that can really be healing. And so there's different types of people love fantasy. Uh, that's a huge genre right now. Science fiction. I mean, personally, I'm not a huge sci-fi fan, but I know there are people. That's all they read. And they love thinking about huge existential questions. What happens if the aliens invade? You know, this is, these are the kinds of things that, that, that can really be healing and, and interesting to think about. Will we unite as a, as a, a world? Maybe, hopefully. <laughs> now, well, while this isn't necessarily about healing, I, I do think that books can bring connection, you know, i.e., for example, all of the book clubs that have become mm -hmm. so big. I feel like when my when when our mothers were younger, people didn't do book clubs as much. Yeah. Now there might be just so much access that you know in recent decades book clubs have have become a big a big thing, a big way of connection and hey, there's plenty of book clubs that you go to and no one's read the book or very few yeah. people and there's other book clubs where they go and and you really discuss the literature. One area that I think is is interesting and and I'm trying to do more of, but circle back with me in a year or so and see if it continues is as my son is now a teenager, he is starting to read some of my favorites, whether it's the old classics, mm -hmm. The Great Gatsby, or mm -hmm. it's, you know, some of the newer young adult novels. And I, I really love young adult fiction, especially I, I do love historical fiction too. And when it becomes young adult, it's not as, um, 
I, I love F. Scott Fitzgerald. He's a Minnesota guy. He's got his Minnesota roots. Yeah. So I think there's something special being that I'm from Minnesota. And obviously he's such a um, notorious and highly acclaimed author. Uh, he is a bit harder to read if you don't like reading. Yeah. Um, I went and I had mentioned this, I think on an earlier podcast is that I went to the library and sometimes I just enjoy walking around the library. There's so much knowledge there. There's so much media there. There's a, there's a lot. And I, I stumbled upon graphic novels and mm -hmm. I never, I mean, I wasn't a comic book kid. I, I did not think that would be for me, but I sat there and I was really like, I just dove into the great Gatsby graphic novel. And as somebody who oh. enjoyed the storyline and then, and I, I'll forget, I remembered I loved it. I didn't want to watch the movie in place of the book. Well, as you know, I love movies. As you said, there's something different about uh, if you see the movie, then you've got this vision in your head of how it's all going to go, whereas it's been a while. So uh, there's a ton of graphic novels. And so I think if you've got teenage kids and, and and while we're talking a lot about healing and how books can heal, they also can bring this connection, whether it's with your friends or whether it's with your kids. And yes. so that that is an area, whether you want to read the book alongside your child, whether you want to go check out the graphic novel, listen to mm -hmm. it on Audible. There's a mm -hmm. lot of ways to have have conversation. And, and I think, you know, even in healing, connection is such a key, whatever it is that's going on in your life to have that connection. And books can be such a strong source of that. Yeah, it's interesting you brought up book clubs because it's it's fascinating to me, the whole book club phenomenon. And um how often it's just an excuse to get together, but why books? Like, why not just say we're going to get together every month? There's still something about the book, the shared experience of the book. Uh, even if you don't, if some people are like, well, I started it, never finished it. It still gives it a focal point. And if you have a more serious book club, you can get into these issues. Uh, I love the idea. Think about you were talking about with your son. Like we used to read to our kids. I'm sure you did this every single night, right? You know, the board books and this and that. And my husband read Harry Potter to both kids, all seven books. Um, and for a while, I had a mother daughter book club with my daughter and my another mom and her daughter, same age. And that was really fun. Um, and so I, mean, I feel like there are different ways you could approach it. Um, why, you know, you could, you could with your, your spouse, you could say, Hey, let's read the same book and, and talk about it. And you're having this common experience uh, of reading together. And so, yeah, I, I, I hope the book club phenomenon keeps going. And I love some of these other ideas, which is all right, how can you connect with your kids? Sometimes we watch movies and shows together, but yeah, like, why not try a book? And maybe the graphic novel is the entry for, or it could even be a magazine article. I mean, there's, I, I, I you know, I did, as you know, I, I'm in support of the book, but, it, or short stories, maybe that's another way to access it, that's shorter, less of a commitment. Um, there's even flash fiction, they call it. It's literally like a page, you know, like a very, very short story. Ooh, tell me um, about flash fiction. I'm, I think I'm, as you said, flash fiction, I'm thinking of fan fiction. That's different. No, flash fiction is just short really a full story in a paragraph or maybe a page. Um, they say that Hemingway wrote the shortest story ever. And it, if, I, if I can remember it, it's literally, I think six words that it says for, it's called for sale, baby shoes never worn. And think how much is in those six words and how someone has just say gone through a miscarriage or something like that can identify with the feeling in those six words. So it doesn't have to be a huge commitment necessarily. 
Wow. And right there, we could have a conversation. Maybe it's not a miscarriage. Maybe something else happened. Maybe depending on if this is historical fiction, maybe it was, you know, the 1600s and the baby was from one family, but adopted by another family, right? There's, there's so many That's different right. directions you could try and interpret. Wow. The, 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 I guess the power there of what books, what stories can mean to us if we engage mm -hmm. with it. And I think, I think that's the key, but, um, but taking a left turn, but going in a sense back to the beginning of your writing career and what brought you to start writing. And then, you know, now you have a solo novel is this was always the dream and it's historical fiction, right? Because that's always mm -hmm. been your love. Can you tell us a little bit about how it evolved? What are you most proud of in terms of the story itself? So the book, The Versions of Venice, is about uh, a time in history where if you were a teenage girl, you had two paths in life. One was, at least if you were a Venetian noblewoman, you would either uh, get married or enter a convent. And we're talking teenage girls. And I thought, I just wanted to give voice to these girls that we don't know anything about um, in terms of what they were actually thinking. And, but, but if you actually sit down and you say, okay, I'm 13 and yes, it was sometimes as young as that. And my father just told me I have to marry this man who's 30. How am I going to feel? And I thought, you know, I want to give voice to these girls because a lot of times, I mean, historically they, they were never had a voice. And so I had, and, and I was thinking about mother daughter relationships. My mother was very sick and then did die during the process of me writing the book. And it was very much about the passing on of knowledge from generation to generation and particularly female knowledge um, and how women have coped uh, when it they were in impossible situations. Um, and I had a teenage daughter, you know, a young teenage daughter at the time, she's now 17. And so, uh, you know, how much has the struggle for, for girlhood changed? Um, in 500 years. Obviously, women now have way more opportunities. And I mean, you were lucky if you were literate back then, we don't have those issues, but it's still there's still a lot going on that's relevant. So that was sort of where that book came from. So did you have any knowledge of this point in history? Or as you thought, okay, this is the direction I want to go? Did you have to then go in and become somewhat of an expert in this space so that you could write about it? How does that work? Yeah. Yeah, so um, my the last uh, novel that I wrote with my co-author was set in 1508 Rome, and we had talked about taking that main character who was a man and bringing him to Venice. And so I, we had started researching the time period. And then when we decided for separate reasons to, to part ways, I, I realized what I really wanted to write, because we had been writing murder mysteries, actually. I'm like, you know, I don't, that's not my passion. My passion is bringing these stories of women that we don't, hear about. I want to bring those stories to life. And so that's where I knew I wanted to have the, where, where this, those women, and I wouldn't say it's a choice. They had these paths put before them that they had no choice about. What was it like for those women? And I thought it'd be interesting to have two sisters each follow the, those paths. So then I, then I delved into the history of how that would, you know, come about. And, um, uh, that's where, that's where the book evolved from, but I, it would have helped that I'd done some research so that I knew what I wanted to focus on and then did the precision research that I needed after that. Now you mentioned that your mother was very sick during this mm -hmm. time. How did that affect your creativity, your motivation as you were working towards this goal, this book? 
Yeah, uh, it, it also, she died right after the pandemic started, not from COVID, but from cancer. And uh, I mean, I definitely slowed down my pace <laughs> of writing. There's no doubt with everything that was going on. But then it became a solace too, to be able to say, okay, I can put my brain onto something else that was just unrelated, but had, I mean, I think if you read, when you read the book, I, I'd be curious to know what your reaction is, like whether you have a sense of that or not. But I mean, for me, it's it's in there and you'll even see from the acknowledgements, you know, and, and frankly, the dedication of the book. I was thinking about my mother and my grandmother and my great grandmother that I know. And so it's in the book. It's in the book in my mind. That's really beautiful because you put so much as a writer into the words, into, you know, putting one foot in front of the other, because as you said, sometimes it's a page a day, uh, yeah. but a lot of times writing comes from the heart. It's not just from the head. And so I can, yeah. I can see where you can go in both ways, how hard it could be, but on the same notes, how it, note, how it would bring you some, some solace. And so um, so for the listeners, I don't know if you caught earlier on. So I, now I'm going to tear up. I've known <laughs> Gina since, not since I was born, cause I'm older than you. Right. My, um, I, I talk a lot about, about Minneapolis because that's where I grew up. That's where I, I, I really identify with my childhood being in the Midwest. However, I was born in Leonardo, New Jersey. And my first best friend was Gina Bonagoro. And we lost touch. Actually, when I moved, when we were six, we were pen pals for a long time. Mm -hmm. You guys came out to visit us once in Minnesota and we came back a handful of times. Um, but, you know, in the 80s and the 90s, we didn't have technology the way that we do. And so we absolutely lost touch. At one point, I think I had heard you went to a smart school like Villanova, as did your brother. And But then from there on out, maybe we wrote once, but you lose touch. I feel like I knew, yeah, where you went to, to college and then we lost touch after that. Yeah. Right. And, but then, you know, call it the miracle of Facebook and technology <laughs> coming back together, all these old ghosts from your past yeah. come back. And so it's, it's been a really, uh, really cool, interesting, loving journey a few years ago. And at this point, it was probably more than a few years ago. It was probably closer to eight years ago. We decided to meet up. She's in Toronto, but her parents were in New Jersey and I was living in Connecticut. So we met up at Central Park. Did I bring <laughs> Kyle? You brought Yeah, Kyle. we went to the zoo. Yeah, we went to the zoo. And it was it was just wild. And as we got on this call today, I looked at her and I'm like, wow, I see your mom. Because to me, you're still five years old. <laughs> and, and so it's 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 really cool to see that that, you know, while decades went by. And our lives have gone in such different directions. It's been, um, you know, it's been really beautiful to reconnect and to to see where we where each other has gone. And even the little times that I might post something or Andy post something, your brother, and this, um, you know, this this love of childhood and this time that was really easy for us. Whether it was really easy for our parents, we don't know. So much yeah. as you know, we were five, six, seven, eight years old. Yeah. And I have such fond memories of then. And so, you know, as we talk about your mom, I, I have fond memories of her and, and I can, you know, close my eyes and see us. And as we were laughing, they seemed so old then, but they were in their late twenties, early thirties. <laughs> and now they're like babies to us because we've all aged, right? Yeah. Exactly. So I'm, I am very excited to, to read the book and for all you out there, I, I hope that you have enjoyed our conversation. I thought that it would be interesting to talk about how 
books can heal, how not just, we all assume it's the nonfiction. You go to a, go to the bookstore and, and I encourage those like myself, who I read a lot of nonfiction. I haven't been a big, you know, we'll say love lover of, fi- of fiction, but when I do, it does take me to a place different than when I'm watching the movie or when I'm watching TV, I get absorbed in it. And, you know, many times there's, there's a book by another author or a similar theme or a similar genre that you can keep going with it. So yeah, and I, I just want to say one just quick thing, which is I know a lot of people feel like they don't have the time to read. And I would say, you know, a lot of people have found success with audiobooks during their commute. Uh, also, uh, e-readers, I've got, I recommend a dedicated e-reader, not one with a tablet that you can get on the internet with. And then you can stick it in your purse and you have it with you all the time. So, you know, there are ways to, to increase your reading that, um, you know, I know time is a big factor for people, but there are ways to do it. Well, and, and and I think for me, I'll get out of the habit of reading. And then when I start reading something, I'm like, okay, I really enjoyed that or yeah. what I've been doing. So here's, you know, Gina's book. If you're looking at the video here, I, there is something that I really like about the pages in a book. And sometimes yeah. I quite honestly, my mind will wander on something and I'll grab a pen and I'll write notes, whether I'm annotating, because that made me think of something or if it was like, oh goodness, I forgot to do this. And I make a little side to do, you know, in the back of the books, you'll oftentimes see I've got a side to do, a to-do list That's on so my books. But I, I, like you said, I, I encourage you. And, and for those that are looking for connection and community, I think this, um, you know, COVID and beyond, we found different ways to use technology, but we've also, in, in some people found great ways to connect and other people have gone a different route. I think that, coming to what we were saying earlier to find connection through reading can be really powerful because you don't have to have kids in the same school or doing the same activities. Your common bond is this book that you're reading. And even I've been to book clubs where I read, if even half the book, you know, a little bit about the book, you have something that you can say, or you liked it, but by the way, you may not have time to finish it. And then you hear about it from those that are there. Mm And there are a lot of ways, like, you know, of course, through a school or, or through a friend that knows of a book club, but the libraries oftentimes will have book clubs, uh, the writing centers, as you were talking about, if you want to mm-hmm. start writing yourself, they've got writing centers. Uh, there's somebody that I interviewed on the podcast named Nina Badson. She's a writer. She uh, does a lot of work with the modern well writing community, and she also hosts book clubs. There's virtual book clubs. She hosts oh, yeah. a lot of them, but there's plenty of those that you can do. So I think- uh, whether it's healing, whether it's community, whatever it is that you need, I think that that's there. So Gina, I am so grateful that you have reconnected these years through Facebook and now through the podcast. And I want to throw out there to the listeners, something I do to end every episode is I play the grateful game, which was really a an effort in gratitude that my son and I created several years ago. And now he's gotten a little old to sit there and play with me for several minutes, but it has still become a conversation that we have quite often. Like, what are you grateful for today and why? And the mm-hmm. reason we do it is it's really a, a, a mindfulness technique. If you don't want to sit there and meditate or do yoga, how you can get yourself in the present is by thinking about something that you're grateful for and why, and then feeling the goodness in that. When you do that often, it becomes a habit. And these type of positive habits can be so helpful, whether you're going through a hard time or even just to be happy in the day-to-day. So Gina, I will ask you, what are you grateful for and why in the last day? 
I am grateful for this conversation and getting this chance to talk and connect and see your face. It's, it's amazing. It's wonderful. Well, I hope that this has been what you had, what we both wanted it to be. And if nothing else, you know, the listeners out there, I hope you've gotten a little bit of inspiration or a bit of connection to either pick up a book or decide to write one if that's been your dream. And Gina, I'm so grateful for our friendship all these years, for the smiles that have come on my come on my face when we're talking about Seashore Day Camp that we both went to you know, 40 <laughs> years ago. Or even I, I think back to, um, you know, just the, the little professor that you remember little professor, the little math game, you guys gave that to me as a gift. And I don't know why I remember that, uh, <laughs> but all the little things and the, the tapes that we used to send back and forth to each oh, other yeah. in Minnesota because that tape so we could hear each other's voices. Like these things might sound archaic if you're any younger than us, because you send <laughs> voicemails to people, but back in the day, you couldn't. You know, when we were young, you couldn't even have leave voicemail messages. You just had to call, mm-hmm. but it worked and it has brought a lot of joy. And so I am, I'm grateful for you here, for you sharing your story, for you talking to us a bit about whether it's the process or the inspiration of, of writing a novel. And for all you that are listening out there right now, please take a moment, close your eyes, be present and think about something that you're grateful for and why you're grateful for. And hopefully this will, um, you know, bring a smile to your face because that's what I want to do here with this podcast is no matter what you're going through in life, I'm hoping that you can find some ways that you are able to find joy during whatever journey you're going through in life. Thanks again for joining us. And Gina, thanks for being here and bye for now. One more thing. I would be so grateful if you'd take a minute to rate, review, and subscribe. You leaving a review helps us with our podcast ranking. The higher we are ranked, the more people can discover our show. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm sending you lots of happiness and great health.